Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is three freight trends to watch with my friend Ryan Schreiber. How's it going, Ryan? Good, buddy. You know, there was a time when we were better friends and you talked about me on every episode, but <laughs> that, that, it's been a while since then. So I think that's why I had to come back on, make make myself known again on the logistics of logistics world. Ryan has been on my podcast many times and there's a reason for that. He's very, very interesting and smart and he he knows stuff. <laughs> Or I'm a volume <laughs> shooter, Joe. I just say a lot of stuff, and so then it seems like I know something about something. Well, it, before we hit record here, we're talking, and Ryan forgets all the stuff he's involved in. So I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to that webinar. He goes, what? What? I, go, I signed up for it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be at this. I'll be at that. And I was like, I'm speaking at this. Yeah, so there's a reason for that. Anyway, if I was going to talk to anybody about the freight trends, I would want to talk to someone like Ryan or someone else from Metaphora. So anyway, enough of my blather. Ryan, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, so I'm Ryan Schreiber. I am the head of uh, growth and industry for Metaphora. We are an industry consulting firm, so we focus exclusively on transportation, logistics, and supply chain. We do strategy consulting and software development. We have a couple of other offerings, like uh, we have we have an integration platform. We have some uh, training platform that we're launching pretty soon, which I think we'll get into a little bit today. And I lead our, like I said, I lead our industry teams and our and our growth teams, which means I I, I work with partnerships, I work with marketing, thought leadership, uh, and then the other folks in my team are all folks who've been in industry. So I've been in industry for about fifteen years. You know, before joint before becoming a consultant. I started my career at Echo Global Logistics, and so got my hands in a lot of stuff that that deals with the industry. I'm pretty passionate about making it better, both from like a business business operating model perspective, and also from a tech tech perspective. So I'm excited to talk about some of the trends. What I'll do is I'll put a, a link to some of the conversations I've had with Metaphor in the past, and it's it's they're very interesting because Metaphor is a traditional consulting company, except they work in transportation and logistics. Yeah. And now we're seeing, you know, the big companies, and I won't mention their names, but they're the very biggest companies, are all of a sudden having logistics practices, where in the past, it would be called, and I'm, this isn't criticism of them, it would be called manufacturing, supply chain, and logistics. That was the practice. And it was mostly manufacturing, mostly supply chain. And now, finally, we're getting kind of the respect in the logistics space that we need our own, we need our own vertical. There should be a, a partner getting a million dollars a year in that vertical too. I <laughs> so. agree. Maybe it should be a partner at, at Metaphora. I don't know. Let's send this to Peter after we do <laughs> Exactly. So Metaphora used to be called Carrier Direct, and so don't be fooled. I did podcasts with Carrier Direct in the past. Again, the reason they're on my podcast so often is because they're knowledgeable. And Ryan has been on it more than anyone, so that means he's the most one of the most knowledgeable. But I have the best beard. Yeah, exactly. So, Ryan, please tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? You do have a very interesting background. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I went. Uh, so I grew up in Tampa, Florida. I uh, was born and raised. I went to college at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And then um, I went to graduate school at Michigan State University. So I left the I left the heat and humidity for the Cold in the snow. Well, we get heat and humidity this time of year. You, y'all, that's the thing about the upper Midwest. Y'all think you know humidity. You don't know humidity. I get that in Chicago too. It gets so humid here. I'm like, are you? Are we living in the same place? It is not like the South, man. It's uh, definitely. I've different. been. I was. I was down in Naples visiting family oh, a few summers ago, before COVID. It feels like a million years ago. And I remember it was like, God dang, it's so hot and humid here. And they're like, Check out your weather back home. It was hotter here. Now that's. Yeah. It can get hot. It can get hot, but the humidity just doesn't yeah. get you. But it, you know, it's it's. Uh, hot uh, hot. I loved the Midwest. I lived there for. 
I lived in Michigan for three years while I went to Michigan State, and then I moved to, to Chicago for eleven years. And then my wife and I recently moved to Texas. Wait, you got you got a law degree though, right? I did. I got a law degree at Michigan State. I know I didn't practice because I graduated during the last recession, and so you know I learned to I learned to sort of like hustle and pound the pavement to try and get myself some opportunities. It didn't work out, even though I graduated towards the top of my class. I graduated magna cum laude, but uh, but couldn't even get job interviews. So it served me well once I got into logistics. Right. That's career. what I was going to say, because there are surprisingly a lot of legal issues in this business. Yeah, there definitely are. And like, I don't know that they come up at the seat level all the time, but it certainly helped me. First of all, like the hustle is certainly what helped me in my career. But it, you know, I would say that the analytical nature of my person, and then also kind of like the having that refined oh, in yeah. law school, was very helpful. Because I, I really, I think what what served me best, and what serves what really we do at Metaphora, is we try and kind of like ask why are things this way? Like, like why do they have to? Like, why why is it the way that it is? Because the industry is fundamentally broken. It, it is broken, and it breaks people. And there's a lot of reasons it can be better. Now, you've got all of this outside investment. You've got Silicon Valley coming in. To your point, you've got the big big consulting firms. There's all of this spotlight on the space. And people who come from outside the space seem to think it's a bunch of country bumpkins right. who have been working in this industry for a long time. And it's not. It's a bunch of very, very smart people. So there, there's very good reason things are the way that they are. It doesn't mean that they're not broken. It doesn't mean that they can't be better. But coming in from without any kind of industry context is, you know, is is a recipe for is not a recipe for success because it's a complicated business. It's not just pick up at point A and deliver at point B. There's a lot more that goes into it. Right, right. Especially now, and again, the bar has gotten so much higher. But before we go past this, the law, the legal part, uh, you and Cassandra Gaines and Nick Dangles all have law degrees, and every once in a while, I'll see you guys talking about legal stuff. And again, there's surprisingly a lot of it. If you guys aren't already connected or linked to Nick Dangles or Ryan or Cassandra, definitely good follows on LinkedIn <laughs> because I've learned a lot just from kind of that third party, just kind of snooping in. I don't have, uh, I don't move freight, but um, I'm interested in some of the challenges. And well, it impacts a lot of stuff. I mean, like I just, I just published an op-ed two weeks ago in Freight Waves about- I saw it about the Supreme Court denying certiari on on a case. And it was related to broker liability. And 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 so like when you when you think about what like okay in the immediate sense of like what does this case mean and what's happening. Okay, but let's play this out. What trend? I mean, we're going to talk about trends today, Joe. So it's like, well, is this a trend? And if it is a trend, are there bigger implications to this decision of where this trend is going? Because the way you win in business is by skating to where the puck is going, right? The way you win in anything is by skating to where the puck is going. And so really like taking things one by one, you're never going to get ahead. And so, yeah, I, I mean, the law stuff definitely impacts impacts things in, in very unforeseen or unseen rather ways in terms of like kind of a guiding hand underlying kind of a lot of the things that happen in the space. So you didn't go, you didn't practice law. So you, you got into this, you got into the transportation logistics space. Give us kind of the back of the napkin of some career highlights before you joined what was then Carrier Direct, but is now Metaphora. And when and why did you join Metaphora? It's a lot of dark days, right? Because you're in transportation. So I don't know that there are any highlights, but there's, can we call them slightly less low lights? I started my career at Echo as a just a freight, as a freight broker and then I left Echo and I started a few businesses. I've started a couple of different companies in the space from a tradition, you know, more traditional businesses to my most recent company before joining Metaphora Carrier Direct was was a was a tech company. We were applying natural language processing to the space and it was candidly like something that I think was uh was a great experience. We were venture backed. I learned a ton. And I think that it's one of the biggest untapped areas uh, in the space. So a lot of what I do in my personal time is work with freight tech companies. And I try and target ones that have an NLP thesis as much as I can. I joined Metaphora because I genuinely think that the industry is broken and I hate it. Like, that's the truth. I think it's just broken. And it, and, 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 I, and I absolutely hate that. And, and I think that 
when I met Peter, who's the CEO of Metaphora and who's probably my closest teammate, you know, I told him, I'm like, listen, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to be here for a time and we're going to do some stuff together. And here's what I need from you. And here's what I'm going to give you in return. And so from a culture perspective, there was a very clear, natural fit for me and that I could be that open with, with, with one of my team members about what I wanted and needed. And it's created an incredible partnership and the opportunity for us to work with, to work with companies to just, as you mentioned, kind of like, right, we're, we're, we're big in the space. So I get to be curious. My whole day is spent being curious. I just talk to people. I just call people and I learn about their business or they call me and I learn about their business. And I learn about the different things that, that, that folks are looking at some of the biggest players in the space and some of the smallest. And it's not just, you know, it's not just tech companies. It's, uh, sorry, excuse me. It's not just freight brokers. It's not just trucking companies. It's not just tech companies. It's not just shippers. It's all of them. You know, we work with corp dev teams and we work with PE firms. And so, you know, to be able to kind of see all of these different perspectives on similar or the same problems or the different symptoms that come along with the same or similar problems, like it's, it's just stimulating intellectually. That's why I did it, you know, and I'll do it until there's something else that is more intellectually stimulating, but it's really hard to think about. Peter and I talk about it all the time. I can't imagine what that thing's going to be because it'd have to be pretty cool because it gives me an opportunity to do a lot of stuff and see a lot of stuff. And by the way, uh, Metaphor has grown like a weed <laughs> since, oh, I, yeah. since I became aware of them. I was still working at a 3PL and I started talking to people at what was then Carrier Direct, now Metaphora. Oh, that had to be 10 years ago. And it seemed like they were relatively new then, but man, yeah. they've grown. <laughs> and there's a reason for that because there was a real need and there is a real need for outside counsel. And so it's what, when you're when you're at a 3PL, you think this is the way 3PLs work because you don't know what's going on down the street. <laughs> well, carriage, I'm sorry, Metaphora does know what's going on down the street and in the next state over and they know what the cutting edge is. That's why people- Yeah, I mean, it's, you, you know, like there's there, companies, there are a lot of companies out there that say we're, you know, we're doing fine. We could do better, but we're doing fine. And and the the best, but the best companies are saying, we're doing fine. We have to do better, but we're doing fine. Right. And so there's not, you know, there's a slight tweak in there, right? Which is could versus have to. There's also not desperation in that have to do better, right? Because they are saying we're doing fine. When you're desperate. You're behind, you're going to make bad choices. But to your point about kind of like having an idea of what's going on broadly in the industry, in the space, what's going on down the street, that's where the companies that also had that curiosity of saying, hey, we have to do better. We're doing okay. We're growing. We're, everything's working out, whatever. But if we don't get ahead of this, if, you know, if we don't skate to where the puck is going, if we just keep skating down the ice, we're never going to score the goals that we want to score. And so... I think right. that that's, uh, that's certainly one of the nuances that I found to your point about the people who kind of stick their head in the sand and say, We're do- we, know the- we know the business. We're doing fine. Right. Yeah. And by the way, this is, this is a business. And they, you know, we're, right now the tide's going out a little bit. And, you know, there's an, that old saying is when the tide goes out is when you find out who's not wearing a bathing suit. And I, and the, I think the margin's coming out of some of this. So companies that said, oh, well, we're doing fine, but our, our margin's not as high as maybe the you know, everybody else. Well, um, as the people who are using technology and doing different things to keep reducing their cost per load are making incremental advancements, maybe even transformational advancements, and you aren't, the next time the tide goes out, <laughs> you're going to have to run for cover. <laughs> Listen, like you can tell, you know, there's a the concept of like, you find what you're looking for. If you look for ways to tell yourself you're doing a great job and pat yourself on the back, you'll find them. You will absolutely find them. And if you look for areas of improvement, you'll find those too. And if you look for existential risks to your business, you'll find those too. And if you look for the ways in which you're the market leader, you'll find those too. And the reality is they're all true. But what's the story that you want to... If you want to tell yourself the story that you're great and you don't need to worry about it, all right, cool. You know, you're probably, you're probably wrong. And so like, you know, we see that all the time. Uh, four or five years ago when I, you know, first got it, maybe 
it's longer ago now, I guess. I forget that it's 2022. But when I really first started my forays into technology, you know, it was tell me why I don't have to worry about tech in my business. Like, tell me why. And then, and then Uber Freight comes along. Tell me why I don't have to worry about Uber Freight. And it's like, I mean, okay, I can tell you why you don't need to worry about them. But the truth is, like, there's a reason that they're dabbling in the space. And I'm not saying that their approach is right or going to win. But what I am saying is there's a reason that there's an opportunity for them to be here. Now, you don't have to react to that. In fact, you shouldn't react to that. You should look through the windshield and figure out what you think is going to win. But, you know, to your point about margin, we were talking about Grace Sharkey before we got on. When Grace Shark, Grace Sharkey's a, uh, a writer. She's a writer for FreightWaves. She's a friend of mine. And when... When she was still in industry, when she was still working for a brokerage, she called me one time and she said, you know, there's all this talk about a low margin, margin compression, margin compression's coming, whatever. Do we need to worry about it? And I said, I don't think you need to worry about it necessarily, but it's something that you should work on. And she's, I said, because there's one of two possible futures. One future where margin compression comes and you were you didn't you know and if you worked on it then you survive as a business there's another future where margin progression doesn't come and great all you did was build a better business that allows you to be more flexible be more price competitive be you know build a build faster to scale whatever it might be and so if you want to look at it and say I don't need to worry about uber freight I don't need to worry about <laughs> technology I don't need to worry about margin compression you're right. You probably don't need to worry about it because you're gonna because then there's one of two possible futures. You were right and you didn't need to worry about it and everything's fine, or you were wrong and you died as a business as a result of it. Yeah, right. I haven't said this in a while on my podcast, but years ago, even before I did the podcast, I wrote an article talking about. Well, it was asked the question: Will will freight brokerage will the margins go out of it like they did in? Stock brokerage and in stock broker. By the way, it's really hard even to find a stock broker now. But the way the when I was young, many years ago, if I wanted to buy a stock, I couldn't go online and buy a stock. There was no internet at that time. But but even if I make a phone call, I couldn't buy a stock because they would say, "Well, we have a minimum. You have to open an account, right?" Uh huh. It's again pre-internet. There was a time, guys. It sucked, but we didn't know it sucked. And and. What was crazy is most people, unless you were wealthy, you got mutual funds. That was your option. And then all of a sudden, Schwab came in in 78 and said, we're going to discount this. Pre-internet, the discounters didn't take off till the internet got here. Then all of a sudden, it was $10 trades, then $15 trades, then or $10 trades, then $5 trades. And now you have zero free, free right? And you could ask the question, who is going to offer free trade, free freight brokerage services. And you go, well, that's not possible. Well, it wasn't possible over there either. They're using data. And 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 it was, but by the way, there was an article. They're making uh, money in other ways, right? Exactly. Like nothing is free. There are no free lunches. And that's right. I don't know that you'll have, I don't know that you'll, you'll quite have free freight brokerage services in the same corollary, but your point is well made, which is we can learn from other experiences. What's the corollary for trucking? When I still worked in automotive, there was a, it was like an ebook that went around and it said, can we give away cars? Can we give them for free? And the answer is like, wait, no, the answer is no, of course not. Right. They're expensive. Well, they made the point that if we had data, so if I gave Ryan Shriver a car and say, Ryan, I'm going to give you this car. Here's the deal, though. You have to give me all the information. How much money do you make? Where do you live? Give me all the demographic, and then I'm going to follow your car, and I'm going to say, okay, Ryan's going by this place. He goes by this steakhouse four times a week. He does eat meat. At some point, we're going to hit him. I wish wish that I could afford a steakhouse four times a week, but yeah, go on. No, but you're just you're driving by it four times, I guess. I'm but, joking. I'm joking. But my point was, is they were asking the question, if we could sell other services, sell other stuff, because we gave that free car away. And that's a brand new model. And again, it's just, these these are things that are happening. By the way, when you used to watch football on Saturday or Sunday, now when you watch it, you see flow from Progressive and probably six or, I think there's six advertising companies and they're all insurance or mobile phones. Those used to all, they used to all be stock brokerages. All of them. 
pain weather. So the world changed and that industry went bye-bye. <laughs> we still buy stocks, but the industry went bye-bye. <laughs> it's an interesting concept, right? Which is like, what is... I always ask myself the question and I ask other people, what if it wasn't that way? What if it wasn't that way? How would we solve that problem? And it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean we should or shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean you have to do whatever this, that, or the other is that you come up with. But it's an interesting thought experiment because the data from that, as you just pointed out, is much more valuable than the selling the car itself, right? And so, you know, that's a very creative solution to a monetary problem. And 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 I think that one of the biggest challenges that folks come up with when they're trying to solve problems is this concept of impossible. Right. It's impossible. And that shuts off that creativity valve, right, Joe? Of like, it sh- if you say something's impossible, you're immediately saying like, I'm not going to engage in this concept. So I always say, and I think I've said this to you before. I've definitely said it to you before, whether I've said it on your podcast before, I don't know. Nothing is impossible outside of the physical limitations of the universe. Everything else is a problem to solve. There are reasons we can't do something right now but that doesn't mean that it's impossible to do. It just means we have to solve all of these other problems to make it happen. Right. 500 years ago, we never could have, we could not have had the internet 500 years ago because there was, there were a lot of problems to solve and those problems were going to take time. But if you immediately, you know, if you said it's impossible, well, okay, then you're not laying the groundwork for getting where you need to go. And the same thing is concept. Okay, well, what is it like? Let's work backwards from zero dollar trades. What are all what what let's work backwards from zero dollar brokerage. What are all of the other ways in which I can monetize this transaction or what else is in this transaction that is perhaps more valuable to me than my fees in brokering the trade? Now that we got all that information, somebody should be paying me for it. Yeah. So, I want to switch gears here and talk about the three freight trends to watch. And by the way, when we were talking before, you, me, and Teresa, we talked about a lot of different things. And as we were writing them down, my thought was, okay, that's not, to some extent, we could call these trends, but a lot of ways, these are, we're going to come back to fundamentals. I mean, you might've told me these same trends last year, and but they don't make them less important. I mean, these, Mm -hmm. I say it all the time is, um, the blocking and tackling is is the hard part because we want we're looking for the silver bullet. I don't want to do the fundamentals anymore. I want I want Brian to give me the silver bullet so I don't have to do all the all the the blocking and tackling. I don't know that there is any silver bullet, but yeah, we'll uh, if we'll get to did, the fundamentals, Joe, for if, sure. If there was a silver bullet, the guys at Metaphor and Ryan would have one. So what's the first what's the first freight trend we need to watch, Ryan Schreiber? We already started sort of talking about technology. And so, you know, the, the biggest thing where technology is today is moving away from this kind of paradigm of build everything or buy everything. The Really, like, the future is flexible. and But the future is flexible concept applies to more than just technology. But really putting together an ecosystem of things that solve your problem. And so really moving toward a future where you are meeting people where they are and building solutions that help you get the outcomes you need through technology that lowers the burden on uh, your team members, on your customers, on on your vendors to engage with you and, and be be uh, be effective. And so that can be anything from you know throwing out the concept of a TMS being one big, piece of software that solves all your problems to even, I mentioned training earlier, how you train your people. How are you training them? How are you delivering training while still keeping everyone engaged and getting the outcomes, getting the outcomes that you're looking for and that you need. So, so, so you guys do you, so some people come to you and say, Hey, can you do a technology assessment? Tell us how we can do better. So, so sometimes I imagine you find yourself saying, Here's a technology that you guys could use, or you should develop a piece here, or, or, or. And so, tell us a little. Give, give me, give me some sense for like maybe a case study without mentioning names of when we've gone in and said buy this or build that. Yeah, how's that work, and what's that process look like? What we'll typically do is come into a company and take a look at the entire 
business and give them opportunities to buy or build a lot of different things. And so whether that is, again, like, you know, a piece of a software, like we'll look at your whole suite of software and say, hey, here are some things that are table stakes, right? I mean, you, as we were prepping, you talked about load board. We're going to build a carrier load board, right? And it's like, you probably shouldn't be building a carrier load board anymore. And and listen, we have customers right now who are building carrier load boards. And, 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 and all we can do is advise them one way or the other, right? And say, hey, like, th- we think this is table stakes. This is something that, that you can buy and should buy. But there are, like, the story of technology is that anything that was differentiating before is going to become common or commoditized. Digital tracking is a good example of that. Five, seven years ago, digital tracking was pretty cutting edge. And now there are a lot of solutions that do digital tracking. And if you haven't adopted digital tracking, you're at a competitive disadvantage. And so when you're making decisions on buy versus build, one of the things that we talk about in terms of pushing people away from buy is not just will this differentiate you, but how long will this be differentiating for you? And how much of a trade-off is it from where the software is today in the business, excuse me, in the industry to justify that spend? Do you need to spend $5 million to build whatever as a hypothetical if it's only going to be a competitive advantage for you for six months? Well, if that competitive advantage is going to be a million dollars a month, then sure, maybe. But if not, which it probably won't be, then you know what's the trade-off from where you're going to get off the shelf or what have you. And so, look, and and then it's not just you know that flexible future isn't just about technology. It's you can leverage technology across your business. People don't think about all the different areas where they can leverage technology. Training is one, right? Like, can you deliver train? You can deliver training now in a much more effective manner digitally without giving up kind of getting people involved in training, et cetera. There, there, are, there are a lot of different, op- developing different and flexible commercial solutions for your customers. There are a lot of different areas to get flexible in your, in your, in your business that's going to help lower your overall cost to serve your customers and really drive differentiated value for your, your again, your team members, your customers, your vendors, those folks. Yeah, I think it's also most people, most companies, even if they've got a number of softwares, they aren't experts in it. And you know, we, we tend to uh, let's just say you needed to buy a TMS or a WMS or an ERP, whatever systems you might have been buying, you became expert at them for six months while you're going through that RFP implementation. Process. Yeah, yeah, and then you, and then uh, five years later, you have no but no knowledge of what the market's doing. That's why it's helpful to have the fresh eyes, not only fresh eyes, but people who know what they're. People came from a best practice a few months ago, like metaphor, come in and say, you know what, you know what's the cutting edge of this is this. I don't know that you need it, but here's what cutting edge is. And then be able to make some recommendations that are actually useful. Well, I would say the number one thing people should focus on from a flexibility perspective is how nicely does anything play in your ecosystem? So if that's soft, you know, if that's software, how well does the different pieces of software communicate with each other? Right. And so a big thing that we see focus on these days is just integrations and integratability. How integratable will this software be in my team's workflows, in my vendors' workflows, in my customers' workflows, in my and 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 and, and how in, integratable will it be with other pieces of software that I have in my ecosystem? Right. Because like if you have to ask people to change their behavior, you're asking for a big lift. Even if those are your own internal team members. Hey, I need you to do your job fundamentally differently. There's training that goes along with that, etc. So being able to slot into... I talked about NLP earlier. Natural language processing. That's why I'm a big natural language processing fan because you're able to get benefits in your business in a flexible way by not asking people to change their behavior. And so really focusing on flexible solutions is 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 really that number one trend that I wanted to talk about. Right. And you started to say ability to integrate. And so help me as a layman. I have, let's just say I have a transportation management system or I'm considering buying one. And I want to make sure that I can connect maybe to a dynamic pricing tool like green screens. And maybe I want to connect, uh, what's his name? Freight Friend, right? I want to connect to that. 
I want to connect to all these different, <laughs> all these different uh, systems, but I don't want to pay to integrate. So we have APIs, which I, for a long time, I just made fun of the fact that tech people just kept saying to me API, like it was magic. <laughs> but I know it's not, you know, that easy most of the time, but I want that ability. And I feel like I've used this example in the past and maybe I'm off base, but I don't think so. Is if you use WordPress, WordPress is used most by people for websites because everything plugs in there. So if you want a, an accounting system, plugs in. You want a calendar, plug it in. You don't have to program it all yourself. And I think that's kind of what I want from my systems too. Whatever system I'm using, I want the ability to easily bring in the great the next great app. And by the way, next year there's going to be another great app. I don't it's even know what it is, but I might want it. One. Yeah, it's yeah, the same exactly. reason that Salesforce is one, right? Because they have the Salesforce ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. It you know, integrations is a little bit more difficult than sort of like plug and play sometimes, but you need the ability to do that. And there's certainly like different software that's built different ways has the ability or not to to integrate easily or more quickly with other folks. Because exactly that, you know, what I always, your, your example is a good one. I, I use the example of, of, of AWS with Amazon. The reason that Amazon spun out AWS as its own service offering is to expose it to the market to make sure that it's still best in class. Well, explain what AWS is for now. Amazon Web Services is their like is a their is a their cloud computing offering. So, like if you have something in the cloud, yeah. So not so long ago, I would have a server in the hallway or down uh -huh. the hall, and it would that so that would that was how what powered my systems. Right now, rather than having to have the server down the hall and move to the cloud. That's been happening for the last dozen years or 10 years, there's, whatever yeah, it is. There's, there's, a, there's an intermediate step actually that I think is important. Maybe maybe you can cut this out if you want in post, Joe. But you know, you had it on-prem in your office. That's what we would call on-prem. And then there was an intermediate step where you sent everything yeah. to a data center, right? You put it onto yeah. a data center. And then you had a bunch of, you know, you had servers in a data center. The cloud is actually, the cloud is different. The cloud is the next iteration of that. And so there's a lot of software that claims to be in the cloud because it's in a data center somewhere. But the cloud is actually interestingly different in that the one of the main benefits of the cloud is that it can meet, it can scale up quickly and down quickly to meet your demand of any surplus that you might have. But also like be cost effective when you need to. So your unit economics. So for instance, the reason Amazon came up with AWS in the first place is they were like, nine months out of the year, not peak, we have plenty of server capacity for our needs. But in peak, we need five times, 10 times, I don't know what the number is, server capacity. So we're either going to fail peak, which is not an option because we're a retailer, or we're going to have 10 times as many servers as we need 12 months out of the year. So they came up with this concept of the of of cloud computing which allowed, you know, or AWS really, which allowed them to scale that demand flexibly. So like if you if your systems demand a little bit more space. So the reason I bring that up though is as you I realize that's like probably a lot of people passed out or like just glazed, you know, their eyes glazed over. I think it's important to know this though. But the reason that it's important for what we're talking about is sunk cost fallacy. And so if the, the, we, what we talk with our clients about is break down big decisions into a lot of smaller decisions. Because you're going to get things wrong. Even if you're an expert, even with experts, I'm an expert on presumably something. I'm still trying to figure out what it is, growing beards. But I'm still going to make mistakes. There's, you're always going to have you're always going to be wrong. So if you can break it down in littler decisions, it's easier, right? To There's less at stake when you make a mistake or you make a bad decision. And then changing is also easier. So when you were talking about being able to switch things out, the biggest kind of buy-build, the biggest reason that integration is important, the biggest reason that you want to build for a flexible future is so that if something else comes along and it's better, you're not stuck in that sunk cost fallacy of, well, I spent $500,000 to implement this ERP and I got to get out of it. You don't have that problem. 
Right. And the, the, the cool thing about the cloud in general is the ability to scale up also. So, and again, not that the history is real important, but I worked places where we needed enormous computing power. And we had servers that were so hot that we had to keep them in refrigerated rooms. And, and the guys who kept those things going were like gods. And I remember one of them used to I, I print out a drawing, an engineering drawing, and he would just delete a lot of our drawings off the system. Just, you're not printing these. Use your computer. And 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 no one could say anything to him because he was like a he's like a he's like the the uh, the prince, right? And now we have this capability. And, and by the way, when you we get new software, sometimes we would have to buy new server capacity. Yep, it was a yep, giant course, pain exactly. in the ass. And then you end up with these servers that were like Rube Goldberg's, which I shouldn't. I don't even know if that anyone knows what that means. But it was these monstrosities that. That only one guy knew how to work. It was really not a good way to go. And what happens if that guy gets hit by a car? Exactly. And so what ended up happening is a lot of times when things move to the cloud, sometimes it was the tech guy saying, let's do it. Other times there's the tech guy going, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the god king of this company, <laughs> right? But there's a lot of, you know, and, and, and so we were talking earlier about like what are some of the like, how can you draw f- from what happened somewhere else to what happened? And so if you think about, okay, so the reason I think it is important to talk about what cloud computing is like actually touches on another one of our trends. So I'm going to jump ahead, Joe, which is like partnerships, right? And like identifying people who can partner. So for instance, flexibility. Flexibility is that, you know, is important or whatever. Cloud, how do I scale up and down to meet demand like that I need in in times of surplus or in terms in, in times of, 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 of deficit? Well, like, What's the human capital compo- like example of cloud and surge and being able to do that? And so that's why you know we talked about partnerships being another trend or uh, as we were coming into this that we've been tracking. So like staffing, for instance, you know I know Lean Staffing is one of your sponsors. They're a big partner of ours, and 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 we love those guys. And and so staffing is a big example of that as well to be able to staff up or like scale down so that you can be cost competitive as well and 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 really like it's at the point i mean for staffing specifically just like with cloud computing if you're not leveraging some of those tools you are at a competitive disadvantage if your software is not in the cloud for stability reasons for whatever else true cloud you are at a competitive disadvantage and now we're at this place actually where people have like hybrid solutions hybrid cloud you have some cloud, you have some on-prem, whatever. And it's because it fits their business need. Right. And it's the same concept with staffing. Like we talked about that as we were prepping. It's like, we're not, you shouldn't send every single job you have to Colombia. You shouldn't, or or Mexico or, or India China. or whatever. You shouldn't hire consultants to solve every single problem in your business. You shouldn't do that. However, you should have a hybrid, having a hybrid approach is absolutely something that like you need. So what are the lessons we can pull from other things in our, in our business, in the economy, in adjacent industries, et cetera, and apply them to our space and see where they fit. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when we're talking about, when we're talking about having people in Columbia, if you were to say this pre-internet, it, it wasn't even feasible because how would we communicate? Right. It made no sense. Prior to COVID, the idea that you have, one of your top consultants leave Chicago and live in Austin, be like, whoa, 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 whoa. How do I know he's not? I need to see him in the office. Well, he's never in the office anyway. Right? I was so, never in the office anyway. I was always traveling. Yeah. yeah, it's true. And so all of a sudden the world changed with, and we we now accept remote work. And now I've heard people say, well, if we're going to have people come into the office, it has to be commute worthy. When you say that to somebody my age, you go, wait a sec, commute worthy. I went to junky buildings my whole life, right? And nobody cared if they particularly liked it. But this world has changed so rapidly. And all of a sudden, what didn't seem reasonable or possible so long ago are now normal. And I mentioned this before we hit record regarding Lean. One of their one of their guys there shared some analytics because they do the back office of over 500 logistics companies. So he has insights that no one logistics company can have. Why? Because he's looking at how 500 companies do business. He wasn't sharing anyone's personal data. He was looking at a, a, an overall trend and saying, mm-hmm. yeah, and saying, 
then it, and, and so you start to go, oh, that's a different kind of partner. That is not just they're cheaper there. That's not just we're just arbitraging labor rates. No, no, no. It's much more than that. And this is why partnering is here to stay. So since, since, since you switched gears on us here, companies are now partnering with companies like Lean. And again, I think they have over 8,000 employees, mostly in Colombia, but I think Philippines, Guadalajara, some other locations. And they're doing the back office, lots of companies. And you said to me earlier before we hit record, it's a competitive disadvantage right now if you aren't partnering with the company, probably Lean, but if not, there's some competitors. Competitive disadvantage that came really in the last, what, five years? I would say the biggest regret I have in my career, to the extent that I could say that, is that I didn't see the vision of staffing sooner. Because I met with them very early on in their journey, and I was like, I don't get it. I was that guy who was like, I want my people here, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) How I take attendance. (laughs) And then I did the math. You know, I did the math of staffing my and my team, and and you know the the biggest challenge of building a transportation company, of building a traffic department if you're a shipper, is staffing, and is is being able to scale to meet demand and how much that costs. The average, like most freight brokers, spend about if you're if you're like if you have some scale, you're not like a basement broker or what have you. They're spending sixty to seventy percent of their uh, of their GP in SGNA, and and so like the free then most of them are operating. For those who don't track it, what is SGNA? A sales uh, general administrative labor. So, like they're spending that on people to deliver for their customers. They have an operating ratio. So an operating ratio, right, is how much of one like if you have a dollar in revenue, what percentage of that dollar do you have to spend to make that dollar? Transportation providers are typically operating at in like you know the brokerage full truckload etc. They're operating in the high nineties OR, ninety five to ninety seven. That means that they're spending ninety seven cents of every single dollar to make that dollar. The gross margins is what everybody talks about in brokerage specifically. Oh, these freight brokers they make fifteen percent margins. There's so much. But the cost of doing business is so high. Trucking companies, the same concept. It's a little bit, cl- it's a little bit clearer in trucking because you've got a truck, you got a trailer, whatever, whatever. But you have a lot of high fixed costs in addition to your variable. You have high variable costs. But that, where's the free cash to grow and staff? And so, what's the problem? The problem is that we end up with not enough people to do the work when there's a lot of work. So we staff at the bare minimum, right? And so one of the things you're at a competitive advantage of is, is, is customer and carrier experience. One of them is commercial, obviously, because you're spending too much money. But you're also churning employees because your employees have a worse experience because there are, again, because they're overworked, et cetera. If you're shippers, most shippers look at their transportation department as a cost center. They shouldn't, but they do. Right. And so they're not going to add enough bodies to really do all of the work. And so... That's one of the ways that you're at a competitive disadvantage because at this point, it's become table stakes. The biggest, the biggest brands are working with them, but also most of the mid-market brands are working with them. And so it's a it's a it's a figuring out your staffing strategy. And it's a strategy. Again, you shouldn't outsource all your jobs. It's not just back office, there are sales roles, there are all kinds of things. You need a strategy that works for you and your business and your goals, but there is a place for it somewhere for partners like like staffing partners for sure. Yep. And by the way, I did another podcast with Peter Rentschler, CEO over there at, I know that um, guy, yeah. at Metaphora and David Bell from Lean Solutions Group. He's one of the founders. And you guys have a partnership with Lean where you guys will come in and look at a company with with those consultant uh, consultant best practices and say, hey, this is the uh, area of opportunity to move some people down to um, over to lean or staff up an area, the next project, whatever it is. And I know it's, I, I know, I think David Bell said some of it was could even be paid for by lean. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to make a promise for uh, David That's Bell. That's okay. Here. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's, there's also, you know, but what we're what we're driving at here is like there are as a business 
one of the trends we're seeing is partnership in general, obviously, which is good for our business. If I'm just being being honest and direct about it, right? It's good for our business. But you know what? What we're seeing the 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 thing that we're seeing dawn on this industry, which I'm happy about, is there are certain things in your business that are capabilities. And just like we talked about buy versus build in terms of software, do you want to buy that capability or do you want to build that capability? You should buy the capabilities that you don't need all the time. So for instance, one of the things that we do, I'll just use us as an example, is compensation design. We help companies figure out their compensation strategy and what to do and what to and roll it out. How often are you redesigning compensation in your business? Yeah, you could you could you could your VP of sales could be responsible for designing your new compensation package or whatever. But to your point from earlier, knowing about sort of like what's going on and really being, you know, in the industry broadly and where things are going and 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 what's what's a reasonable amount of money to pay anybody, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Integrations is another example. We talked about integrations earlier. Are you going to build that competency? Does it provide you a competitive advantage? Are some of the considerations in terms of you know, what we're seeing people think about is build their army and they're building their army with software. They're building their army with partners. They're building their army across the board. And so you're paying me to go away in some respects, you know, if you're talking about me specifically, but, um, but what are the areas of, of, of in your business where you're maybe not the expert? So training, I mentioned training earlier is another one. If I could add something to that in maybe in the olden days when things didn't move as rapidly as they are today, you could say we we have, there is no, we just bought software. We know what we're doing. Uh, we don't have to worry about it. Well, now all of a sudden these these changes are happening like just like that. What? And by the way, we always have this belief that, hey, the thing, this is what happened and it's going to continue to be that way. It's not going to continue to be that way. I, I, I've had people on my podcast, some people are very successful who've said, hey, I don't think we're going to have 17,000 freight brokers in 10, 15 years. And- and they kind of threw out, we could have a dozen. And by the way, I've come from my first job. I was a computer. I was a, I was a draftsman that became computer drafting. You can't find one of those guys now. And we got paid really good money, <laughs> really good money. And, and we, they got rid of draftsmen using technology. The work still gets done. It's just not a draftsman. That's more an engineer. And so industries do go away. Not, not the work necessarily, but in this business, we can all see it. Technology is going to automate a lot of the loads that we're, we're now ma- touching manually. The visibility and the ability to collaborate is going to let us do things faster, better, cheaper. And at some point, there's not going to be the margin in this business to do it manually. So so if it's, it, it's time to start looking at the tech, right? I don't remember if we talked about this on the pod or before we got on, but like, even, oh, it was, yeah, it was on here. Even if there is still the margin, do it anyway. Right. Work on it anyway <laughs> because you're money. just building. <laughs> make more, pay more, charge less. You can do all three of those things. So you can get more market share. You can pay your people and your vendors better and you can still make more money. There's one of two possible outcomes. You need to do it or you don't need to do it. But in both scenarios, you come out ahead by working on it, right? Right. Yeah, and and I will throw something else out there. I, I have a I come from the biggest baddest supply chain on earth, which is automotive. And by the way, I, the Walmart guys might argue with me about that. We want order to cash, and we'll, we'll, we've kind of directed a lot of our conversation today to freight brokerage, which is which covers two, three, four, five days a week. Right? We really that order to cash could be eighteen weeks. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to say, look at the silo next to me, to my left, the silo to my right. And look at a ways that I can start to add value in a bigger way. Because in the overall scheme of things, transportation and logistics isn't always, the, the, it's not a top priority. When I was an automotive, I, I joking, I didn't say it jokingly. It's a joke now. I remember saying to somebody, I will never attend a logistics meeting. And I meant it because it was 5% of our, 5% of revenue. Why would I go to a meeting? I got all sorts of real problems. I'm not going to go down there and talk to you about our, our transportation costs went up 10%. What do I care? Yeah, right. I got real costs that went up 10%. So, so we have this, and this is the nature of being in business. We tend to think we're the center of the universe, but we really need to get bigger. And I think this is, you know, when, when uh, freight brokerage kind of uh, spreads out 
and starts adding value from order to cash as opposed to just from the time they called you, the time you delivered, <laughs> then we'll, we'll, we have an opportunity to, to add more value. And we're going to have to do that. You don't get to stay if you don't add value. I found that Well, out. and if you don't, you become a commodity, right? Like, and it's a, then you're a commodity. And then if you're a commodity, like, like you said, stock trading or what have you, like that's a commodity. The ability to broker my trade. Go ahead. Ryan Schreiber, I'm going to summarize. I want to make sure we cover everything before you bolt on me. So we're talking with Ryan Schreiber from Metaphor on three freight trends to watch. So the first one we talked about is this idea of buy, build, and just technology in general. And why? And by the way, I'm not. this is me saying it, not Ryan. I believe you need outside help now on technology because I talk every other day to somebody with technology and I learn something all the time. It's happening so quickly in so many areas. And you mentioned visibility and how we just, we blew by that like it didn't matter. Like it was it's super important for a year or two. Now it's table stakes, as you keep saying. Table totally. stakes. What, and, and soon it'll be dynamic pricing. Everyone has it. And, so, what, and who knows what the next thing is that becomes, of course I have that. Everyone has that. So we talk. So I really, truly believe you need outside help. The next thing you jumped ahead on us, and you started talking about partnerships. And you said, I believe you need to partner with a company like Metaphor that's got the best practices, that's seen what the best companies do. You absolutely need to partner with a company like Lean Solutions Group that can do some staffing for you. I think also, Marina, you jump in on this one. I think, I think you need technology partners. So if you got a TMS company, Partner with them. Don't just buy something off the shelf and make your payment every month. Understand what they can do for you, but maybe even an integration Easier company. Easier said than done because they don't really want to, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's another another debate, but uh, another discussion. But I think also maybe a technology company because I had this when I was still at a 3PL. We would have somebody say, could you connect your TMS to our ERP? Everyone asked, but very few wanted it, <laughs> right? And- at that time, we didn't have the ability to go get, you know, in an expensive connection like an API. It was like 10 weeks, a hundred grand, two guys, the whole shooting match where it was like, nope, we're not doing that. But now I don't think you have a choice when a customer says, I want that technology. I want one system talking to another. And again, there's so many damn silos in our business. We need that. We need to, we need to move. The information from silo to silo, that's how we add value now. Agreed. So final thoughts on this partnership. I think you covered it pretty well, actually. <laughs> well, okay. So we'll get your final thoughts on the whole thing. But next thing I wanted to talk to you about is, there's a you made me write down this earlier, investing in your business, even in bad times, which by the way, that some people would say these are very difficult times, maybe even getting worse. Who knows? So what do you mean by all that? I mean, it's... It well, you know, one of the things that like, I, I, we talked about this earlier, sort of like in a, in a sense, which is doing the right things for your business is is always an option, right? And, and so looking at the areas of opportunity in your business, I, certainly like there are, there are challenges in any market of different ilk. One thing, if you're talking about transportation providers specifically to keep in mind sort of is that uh, is that our business can move largely independently of the broader economy is one of the things we kind of keep seeing from our customers. Like the, the transportation ecosystem is <laughs> still doing kind of okay, you know, and so that's, 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 that's good. But, you know, if, as things, but as things sort of tighten up or tighten down, all of the principles still remain the same in terms of investing in your business. Focus on things that add value, right? And so, Focus on the things that are increase revenue, decrease your cost to serve, or uh, you know, or the like. And so, you know, what we're seeing really is focus folks refocusing on things like training and how that impacts ramp of their employees, whether those are salespeople or operations folks, doesn't matter. More effectively trained employees are more productive, and then you have to hire fewer of them to get where you're going, right? They also stick around if you invest in training and developing them in their career. Look, I mean, it doesn't matter what you think about millennials or, you know, zennials or whatever. The reality is people today want more out of their company than just a job. 
It's just a statement of fact. And you can complain about, we can complain about it all we want, but the companies that are winning are the ones who are really investing in their people. There's a cost to churning employees. And so not just investing in their training on the front end, but investing in them long-term is really important. I think also, I can throw that out there. It's it's also not just investing in, of course, training, of course. But, you know, in the last few years, as we all went remote, things changed. And uh, I know some people feel like they left are on an island. Uh, they don't talk to the boss anymore. They don't talk to their coworker anymore because they're working from home. I think there's a million little things we can do to show our employees we care. I've never quit a job where the boss made me feel really good about what I was doing. You quit when you're like, what am I doing here? I'm a number. (laughs) Nobody cares about me. Nobody, whatever. And there's a lot, like, like that's where culture isn't a pizza party. I talk about that a lot. You know, like culture isn't a pizza party. It's not a papa shot. But you're absolutely right, Joe. Like there are opportunities in the business that lower your costs and what you have to, and that's good times and bad times, right? And that's what you really got to focus on. And really under so what we're seeing, the trend that we're seeing is people really focus on sort of if you would, if you will, if you'll allow the term total cost. So training somebody costs me X, but not training them costs me Y. Slower ramp, more people, the cost of like the likelihood that they'll churn. If I churn 1% of my people and the cost of churning them is, you know, $10,000 which usually it's a little bit more than that. That's still, again, 1% of 10,000. That's $100 per person of every everybody I have in my business. And so there's lots of those. I did my thesis on em- em- employee turnover in technical companies. And, and the reason I did it is because I was at a company where we had enormous turnover. It was a technology company. And the owners of the company, would, they gave it lip service, but... I could never talk to my boss because he never stopped interviewing. And the reason, because we lost people. And I was thinking, I'm going to quit because you never stop interviewing. And we had no orientation there. So people never got to the point where they felt like they belonged. They never said, I get how I'm supposed to do my job. So I don't belong here. I don't know how to do my job. My boss is interviewing people five days a week. And ultimately, that company went out of business. And I'm not saying because of the turnover, but it certainly didn't hurt. It wasn't help. not not the turnover. And I tell you, the culture like the culture got really weird too because there was nobody who was. I was there for five years, and I think out of 250 people, I was uh, employee four. <laughs> right? Yeah, but you talked earlier about managing vendors too, right? And so, like, there's oh well, like the customers are what's important because the customers pay our bills, right? Which is true. They do, but nothing happens without your vendors, right? Nothing happens without your employees and nothing happens without your vendors. And so if a customers are churning your, you know, if you're churning vendors because you're not training, whatever, whatever, or maybe you're churning vendors because you need better process. Maybe you're churning vendors because you have a shitty customer. Like those are real costs to your business. And so those are the things that, and from a trend perspective, in terms of investing in the bad times, we're really seeing people focus in on because that's the stuff that sets people up for explosive growth. The reality is like most of the biggest companies in, in America today either started during downtimes or exploded coming out of downtimes because they made some of those right intentional choices. Right. So, so they invested in their people. We already talked about investing in tech and also invest in the country. You can never stop understanding your customer better. Of course, we say the investing, but it's maybe this is a good time to do it. Maybe you say we slowed down a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to double down understanding the kind of customers we want to work with. Anyway, I want to wrap this bad boy up. So I want to, I want to summarize this, Ryan, then I want to get your final thoughts on it. So, Talking with Ryan Schreiber, the one and only, and we're talking about three freight trends to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, we first talked about the the future of freight tech, and you talked a lot about this buy buy versus build, and and it's not necessarily buy or build; it could be both, right? Building towards flexibility. Yeah. Yep, I love that. Flexibility is the the, the key word, and then we talked about partnering. It's the norm now. The biggest companies out there, and by the way, I talk to people all the time. We're used to partnering in this business. Nobody has all their own trucks. Nobody, you know, 
even warehousing companies using other warehousing companies, it is the norm that you have outside technology. It is the norm that people are using companies like Metaphora and Lean. So the idea that I have to do it all in-house and I'm going to be have 8,000 employees when I don't need 8,000 employees, if you had the 1,000 that were the core, you're better off. And, and then you bring in the experts from Metaphora when I need to buy a new technology or I need to uh, improve something in my business. You bring in You're Lean. You're welcome to, yeah, for sure. You bring in somebody like Lean for your staffing. And again, we talked a little bit about technology companies. You might want to partner with a technology company. I know I've had a lot on my podcast like Mtech. Companies partner with them because they create transportation management systems. They create warehouse management systems. So when you need something connected to another system, they're like, yeah, we get it. We make those systems. So I do think we're going to find ourselves partnering as, as a norm, not as a, an exception. And um, and then we talked about investing in your business. And that's the people, the technology, and suppliers. And, and then part of it is investing is understand the customer better. Enough of my blather. Final thoughts, Mr. Right. Schreiber. Yeah, that sounded, that sounded right. You nailed it. Right, my then. final thought is I always like talking to you, Joe. We, oh, well, we always, thank you. But we always run over on time. I know. I, know, I can't help it. We can talk. I, I, you've got a lot to share, and I appreciate that. And, I, and I'm, I'm just a big mouth. So, Ryan, before you go, what's new over at Metaphora? Who is your sweet spot? What kind of projects are you guys doing and who are you doing them for? We're doing a lot of, you know, like kind of the stuff we talked about today is obviously like sussed out from like our project work. We work with transportation providers. Uh, we work with shippers. We work with freight tech companies. We work with private equity firms. So uh, uh, we work with some of the biggest names in space. I like to say like BASF. We don't make the things you buy. We make the things you buy better. You know, I'm trying to think of what the trucking equivalent of that is. And that's us. You know, we do software development. We do tech strategy. We do process improvement and comp and traditional strategy consulting things like you mentioned. You know what I'm really excited about right now is we've got a couple of things that we're launching that are that are more along the lines of of, of um, off the shelf offerings. So we do have it like we've re totally reimagined. Um, I talked about training a bit, and it was definitely self serving. But the reason we started working on this product is because we've seen how shitty it's done and how it can be done better. And and so we have a, a training offering that we're that we're rolling out now. We also have an integration platform to help make this uh, make that integration problem a little bit simpler for folks. And so um, those are some of the like the newer, cooler things that we're really working on, and just kind of spreading the message. So is that um, your training? Does that mean I can do that training online, or does it mean? Yeah, see that that is key because I did a lot of training in the past, and sometimes people would say, "Yeah, come to our." location in the afternoon. Well, now everybody has to drop everything. And that's not in our business. That is not a reasonable request yeah. to say everybody come in. By the way, it reminds me, I never had a staff meeting where people from my staff didn't run out to their computers. <laughs> and training where you do it in the afternoon and you go, hey, that was great. We're finding that doesn't work. What we need is that what I'll call just-in-time training where I'm training at my desk while I'm doing my job and I need to learn something, I'm going to go back to that lesson. It needs to be engaging too, right? It needs to be digestible. You know, some it's a lot of training, especially training that's delivered digitally, it's like sitting there and watching hours and hours of videos. Like that's not engaging. People aren't going to learn. And so what we've developed with Hallpoint, and there's certainly like stuff to talk about more later with that is a totally different way to train and it's it it's to meet people where they are is one of the kind of core philosophies I talked about. And so and it's to make it engaging. So shorter lessons, but also things, you know, a different different ways to get people involved. There is still a person human component to it. There is still an activities component to it. There is the video component to it. And piecing all of these things together so that it's more impactful and people who learn in different ways can still learn the things that they need, that what they need to learn. And, and then not just stopping at like new hire or skills-based training, but like, you know, leadership development. You know, we don't invest in that in this, I, certainly this industry, I can't speak about others, but definitely our industry. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about and passionate about. Yeah. And and I agree. I'm, again, I was putting my trainer hat on. I can tell you a lot of the training that we 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 want to work and we are are 
Our hearts are in the right place, but our heads aren't. We have these training sessions, whether it's remote or it's a four-hour rah-rah session where you're all motivated and then you go back and you got 100 emails that you have to answer. The traditional training we've done doesn't work. And again, there is some great things that can be done online. And I look forward to seeing what you guys are doing with Hallpoint. Thanks. Yeah, we're looking forward to sharing more. Excellent. Ryan Schreiber, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's always fun to have you on my podcast. I, I, I love it I, every time. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me. And I certainly, certainly look forward to being on again. Yep. And what I'll do, Ryan, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to uh, Metaphor and any other links that Teresa gives me. <laughs> so thank you so much. I'll put those in the show notes so you guys can reach out and talk to Ryan. Sounds good, buddy. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.